Costs to originate keep rising, even with more technology in the industry. The problem is the core platform. A new LOS can re-architect the process around data, not humans moving paper files. Vesta has built this LOS, and you can learn more at Vesta.com. Welcome, everyone. Today, I'm joined by lead analyst Logan Motoshami to talk about the jobs report, housing bubbles, and even the crypto crash. Logan, welcome back to the podcast. It is wonderful to be here, as always. Jobs Friday, one of my favorite days of the month. Jobs Friday, and a Jobs Friday on a, at a time when we are really looking to the job numbers to see what is the Fed going to do. So catch us up. So we're recording this on Friday, of course, and we're, but our listeners will hear this on Monday. So what happened? So this is very interesting. As of this second, when I'm talking to you, the jobs report beat. Uh, the wage growth was much stronger than than uh, anticipated. Now, I thought that you know there's some internal data in the wage growth that might have explained it was hot. But as I'm talking to you to right now, the bond market is almost back to flat, right? And you know maybe two three months ago. Uh, Bond yields would have gone up. Mortgage rates would have gone up much more aggressively. I think there's there's a there's a changing of the sea here uh, after this week. Uh, that you know when the when Chairman Powell talked about, well, we're not going to purposefully overhike to force us to cut rates sooner than we want. Uh, laid the foundation of. We are coming toward the end of the Fed rate hikes. They're going to slow the pace down. And basically, they're, they're a little bit more mindful or leery of the uh, economic data. And of course, the labor market is still very, it's honey badger labor market, job opening still very high, jobless claims fell. Those things are really important. Those, those things to me are more important than the actual uh, jobs numbers. When they start to break, things change. Um, but the fact that they're now recognizing that you know we don't want to overdo it, and the market has already gotten ahead of this. The dollar has gotten weaker already. Off the weaker CPI data, you know uh, the ten-year yield has fallen. Mortgage rates are still down one percent uh, from the uh, uh, where we were before the CPI report earlier in November. So if this if this is if this is where we're at right now, we are in a different uh, ballpark currently than what we were dealing with earlier in 2023 uh, and in, uh, in tw- earlier part of 2022. So it really makes for an interesting 2023 now that the bulk of the aggressive Fed rate hikes are over with. And no matter what people try to talk about inflation and, you know, we already see some of the data lines getting weaker uh, on the inflation data. And the Fed is correct if they want to say, hey, we're going to slow things down. And then uh, uh, t- take it to another level, uh, uh, and just look at the data. That means they're a little bit more what we call data dependent at this stage. So you, so jobs are a big part of your whole like where where we're going into recession, where we're coming out, what the pivot is. So where are we with what is your job number that you're looking at, and where are we compared to that? Jobless claims rules all right now. You know, the household survey uh, uh, report of the jobs data is weaker, but I I tell people just follow jobless claims. Uh, In that article we wrote about, you know, you know, can we avoid a recession? Right before every single recession, when all the six recession red flags are up, the only thing that's keeping uh, everything intact is jobless claims data. And once it breaks, it breaks. 
right? So uh, I would I would take jobless claims over the jobs data and the job openings data. That's a weekly data comes out every Thursday, and jobless claims fell uh, 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 this week. So it's we are we are still in a in a very good labor market, and I, and I always try to stress. Getting all the jobs back from COVID-19, you know, when we talked about that should happen by September of 2022, we, we got there. But now these this is kind of makeup, right? If there was no COVID-19 job, we should have a lot more people employed, right? So we're playing catch up to that reality. And remember, COVID was not an economic event. It was a health crisis that paused everything as a global pandemic. So we're still dealing with the aftermath of, of, of that situation. So we're just catching up. And then over time, the job growth data should slow down by itself. We're not a fast growing economy or population growth is slowing. The baby boomers are leaving the workforce. So if they get replaced, that's just a replacement job right there. So job growth should be slowing down over time. The The contention with the Federal Reserve is that they believe they can do their jobs better if more people are not working. So they want a higher unemployment rate. Um, if job growth slows down, the labor force participation rate, no, nobody's coming back to save the labor force participation rate data. So if things start to slow down and jobless claims break over 323K, four-week moving average, not a headline, that's when I think the Fed pivots, but the market will pivot for them, right? Uh, we're already seeing market reactions, you know, off a lower CPI number, off, you know, what the Federal Reserve was talking about. The market will get you there before the Fed reacts. So that's why the jobless claims data to me is the number one data line for the economy at this at this stage, and uh, once that breaks, cycles over, then we get into an interest of what does the Federal Reserve do? They've talked about we want to get the Fed's fund rates to five percent, whatever number they're going to use around there, and then we're just going to wait and see. And that, I think that's the point where they lose their main talking point. They're able to talk tough, able to want to have tighter financial conditions. As long as the labor market is is there, because the, right now they're a single mandate Fed. They're not thinking about the employment because employment data, it, it looks good. Once that changed, the entire U.S. economy changed revolving around the Federal Reserve. We're not there yet. And that's why I say keep an eye on claims. The Fed won't pivot until that until that breaks, because that that pillar of the uh, U.S. economy uh, that they've been hanging, hanging their hat on, it will be gone. So at what point do we get can we say that we're in a job loss recession? Like, is that a percentage of the total number of people working? Like, 323,000 K break, we're in a job loss recession because of the move that we would have, we would need to have coming from 166,000 as the low to get over uh, 323,000 K. Uh, the unemployment, I mean, the Federal Reserve's own forecast is basically saying we're going to have a job loss recession next year because the unemployment rate is going to go up. It's not because the labor force is going to grow massively. Um, that to me is a job loss recession. I think what they want is to minimize the damage of the job loss recession. And that will be another factor to bring inflation down. Um, that's a dangerous game to play when your dual mandate is basically labor and price stability. But we already see some of the inflation data uh, start to cool down already. So uh, that that's why 2023 will be interesting for them. But to me, it's always the jobless claims breaks. It's over. There's there's never been a time in history where jobless claims break late in a cycle and it doesn't create a job loss recession or the NBER doesn't calculate that as a recession. It's always happened. 
Uh, that's why in that article I showed, you know, taking COVID-19 out of the equation, what it looked like in the last three recessions. Uh, after all six recession red flags up, you see this breakout in jobless claims going up higher. That's been qualified as a recession every single time. Um, so we're at that stage. Again, a lot of this is still catch-up jobs that we're, that we're just catching up to what we're, where we should be. And then we take it take it from there. But I think it, 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 it's a good move on the Federal Reserve part to, to acknowledge that, you know, over-hiking doesn't get you what you want. You want to get to a certain point and just let it stick. You want, you want it to stay there because for themselves, if people are losing jobs and they're saying, well, we need to handle inflation, nothing is worse than losing jobs, right? And they would just get creamed by everyone at that point. Uh, um, asking for resignations, people, you know, at that point, you can't, you know, say that when we know that the inflationary data is cooling down. And again, everything around CPI inflation is shelter inflation. And I always like to remind people, this data line is already fading. The CPI lags 12 months. We're going to have 1 million, near 1 million uh, rental units coming online next year, either through construction or natural supply combined. So you're going to get hit by another fold that should bring the growth rate of uh, rent inflation. Remember, we're talking about growth rate. Shelter inflation rarely goes negative. But when you categorize the bullwhip effect of uh, a global pandemic, you get these really crazy moves up and down. And we see it. We see it in manufacturing data. It just had a really V-shaped recovery. And it's parabolic higher. And now it's all negative, right? A lot of the manufacturing data has gone negative right now. So we're going to find an equilibrium with economic data that's somewhat back to normal and not dealing with the crazy effects of uh, COVID-19. So obviously one of the biggest drivers of what happens in the mortgage industry is mortgage rates. The other thing though, when you talk about a job loss recession, and of course the housing industry, housing is already in a recession, right? We see a lot of job losses there. When you look at the jobs data, where are the losses coming from? Where are people losing their jobs? We, for the first time, uh, um, the headlines of, Transportation jobs, you know, or like Amazon's laying people off, um, you know, uh, some retail sales companies, or we finally see that in the data today, uh, uh, where where the jobs were lost were in those categories. Everywhere else was still positive, but some of the these headlines are starting to come through uh, fruition. And again, we have to remember, we have over 155 million people working. So if X company lays off 10,000 people. That might be 5% of their workforce. 95% of the workforce is still working. So right now, the, their companies are trimming the excesses, a lot of them that had after you know the, the unnecessary hiring for COVID, right? This is why I always talk about the Peloton effect. Peloton is a great example of a job loss recession. Had a booming, uh, uh, um, um, booming demand for its product because of COVID-19. And then when everyone basically went back to normal, it's just a bike with an iPad. So it, nobody's going to spend that much money for it. So they've laid off like 30, 40% of their uh, workforce already. It's not going to be that extreme for the general economy. But you, you see the, the, first co- the companies that boom the most during COVID are the ones laying off. And that's, that's why the fourth recession red flag was, where was the booming overinvestment uh, uh, in this uh, re- recovery? That's very early. Uh, it was in these companies that were really uh, growing. Uh, DoorDash even laid off 1,500 people recently uh, right now. And uh, they're a poster child for the uh, COVID-19 boom. But uh, 
always remember, majority of people are generally working, right? So when companies lay off people, you know, think of it in context of over 155 million people. Like some people say, oh, that company is laying off a thousand people. Oh my God. 155 million people work. Come on. Okay. Still, context is key. Um, when you start to see a real recession, retail sales start to get weaker, consumption gets to get weaker, production starts to fall. And kind of what we see in the housing market right now, um, those things uh, will happen in the general economy. Uh, and, and there's no hiding. You can't hide around anymore. Jobs are being lost each month. And that dynamic, uh, again, we had that after the 2008 financial crisis, COVID, you know, after the tech bubble in recent history. Uh, so I think the Fed is trying to minimize that aspect as much as possible. And hopefully that'll be another factor to go on with the additional supply. This is why I always talk about, you know, when shelter inflation, more supplies coming on, wage growth is strong, stronger than we've seen in recent history. But the rent, the rent inflation, it was cannot be sustained. Right. That'll naturally come down. We're already seeing it now. So it'll make a really interesting 2023 because I think this week changed the game. When Chairman Powell said, okay, we don't want to over tight because we don't want to cut. They don't want to cut rates again, right? They want to find a level uh, and they use the personal consumption expenditure, the PCE inflation. I know a lot of people talk about CPI, but they want a 2% target PCE and that's 4.8% right now, 12 month uh, year over year. So we're talking about 2.8% away from getting back to that level. And that's what they want to focus on. So one of the things I wanted to bring up from what Powell said was he talked about a U.S. housing bubble formed during the pandemic. Um, you know, I, I would love to get your take on, the, on that language. I'm going to try to be kind here. <laughs> Actually, no, I'm not. I'm not going to be kind here. Gee. Well, it's just rookie ball. It's just, you know, it, it, it's not even the bubble comment that I'm like rolling my eyes. It's the, well, people were moving because of COVID. Okay, so everyone pay attention to this one. This is it. This is how bad the Federal Reserve is on housing data. Housing broke out before COVID-19 hit us. Hello, McFly. Hello. Come on. It was in the data. It just happened in March, right? We got it. The February data happened in March. Remember, uh, we had housing data for the previous so we were already off. And then people like to make the base. Oh, it's COVID. In the middle of pandemic, everyone decided to let's 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 go buy a house. No, it's just a trend data that got better. What you can say is that the work from home model put the moving in, in other places on steroids. That is a very fair. That's why I say that work from home is like the biggest variable in housing ever. But housing broke out before COVID did. Total inventory levels broke to all-time lows at the worst time ever. You know, this is one of the reasons why I talked about, and I'm saying this, I this is my shot against the Federal Reserve. I talked about this in February of 2021. We wrote that article, we need higher rates to cool housing because it, it isn't the bubble, right? It isn't a bubble. It's just that literally we broke to all, when I, when I talk about breaking to all-time lows in inventory, I'm not even adjusting it to population or households. That's how low the inventory got. But here's the biggest housing demographic patch moving around. Guess what? Prices escalated. Why? Because seller equity people have a lot of equity to use, and they can usually outbid people in the local um, uh, uh, cities that were, you know, from from people moving from other areas. That's that's that that isn't a bubble. That's just people moving, right? Uh, so higher rates can actually cool that uh, uh, trend down, even if it's just four, just getting over 4% is a stabilizer effect. 
So I just think, I just think Powell just said that because you know it, it makes him sound. Oh, I'm going to say it's it's a bubble because people criticize me for the bubble. It's just it's just rookie ball. I mean, if you had a bubble, then what happens? What we've always talked about: all bubbles are the same. Once it breaks, inventory skyrockets. Right, skyrockets because the demand that was keeping that—that's it. Game's over. We have history on our side here. We saw what happened after 2005 when housing peaked. 2006 was the parabolic spike in inventory. It's 2022 December, and we are literally, literally, as we talk today, 800,000 active listings below the four-decade average with a decline in purchase application data and sales that would warrant a housing 2007 conversation without the supply. No, people buy homes every year. Millions of people buy homes. 2020 existing home sales were only 130,000 more than 2017 levels. That's not a bubble in demand. If you average out the two years, there are 350 to 375,000. You do the demographics adjustments, looks pretty normal. So these catchphrases, it's like, it's not even the bubble cat. It's like the FOMO market. Like people say, it's a FOMO market. People get these marketing ideas and they just run with it. You want to know what the FOMO market was? Purchase application data of 2002, 3, 4, 5 is saying, hey, I will hold your beer, your wine, your Diet Coke, and your baby bottle, right? That was the FOMO housing market. That was credit booming, demand, sales, everything starts, production, everything. So we have history. We're like not that long ago. Like if it was the Peloponnesian War, yeah, you wouldn't remember because none of us are alive. But it's not the Peloponnesian <laughs> War back then. It is the literally 2002 to 2000. Most of you are alive then, right? So it's not that hard. We to have good records from that. Yeah. Yes, we do. Uh, from the 2002 onwards. I think, you know, one of the things, so when, when we had that debate between you and Mohanad uh, Ama about, are we in a housing bubble? I think one of the things, and, and you really brought home in that debate, like you have to define bubble because I think, you know, I don't expect it from, you know, uh, Chairman Powell, right? He should know better. But I think your general person out there is like, oh, we're in a housing bubble because prices go up. But that's not the same thing as a bubble. Why do you think I always pick on the housing bubble boys? 2.0. It's a grift, right? It's a grift (laughs) and it's usually done by podcast stock traders or middle-aged men who hate the Fed. It's many, I mean, Listen, this is not like there's not 10 years of evidence to show this. They've been saying housing bubble 2.0 since 2012, right? So to me, it's very simple. And the gentleman, Mr. Alban, actually, I mean, he actually believes in it. That's why I, that's why I love him. He actually said 40, 43% price declines because reversion to the mean. You always know a stock trader when they talk reversion to the mean. Um, that is true if a house was an investment. If a house was as as liquid as an investment, right? That's why I would say stock, you can sell your stock after hours. It could go down 40%, right? If a stock went up 40% in one month and came back down, that was a bubble, right? Boom, boom. Literally, this is the first year of decline and home prices for on, on total are going to be up this year. Why? Because you never saw the inventory scale. This is an affordability issue. This is why I try to bring everybody to get out of the housing bubble talk, go back to 2018 and 19. Housing, housing 2018-19, this is housing 2018 on steroids, right? Mortgage rates went up to 5%. We had an affordability issue. Sales went from 5.72 million to 4.98 million. 
wasn't above all home prices, didn't fall or anything like that. Now we have a major affordability hit off of coming off of major increase in prices. And we see it, right? Sales are falling, right? As they should with rates go up and production's going to fall for the new homes market because they have too much supply. And yet today, as we speak, 1.22 million total inventory. We're using the NAR data. Um, and here it is. Nothing, nothing happened. It's an, it's not an investment that is liquid like that. That's why I always take about when you have so much of a credit boom, like we saw in 2002 to 2005, and that credit peaked, right? We couldn't push credit availability any much higher. That credit availability index collapsed. The home sales data collapsed. The inventory started to skyrocket, right? We don't have that here. We have just a much aggressive version of housing 2018 and 19 where rates went up and affordability, right? We've, I mean, the, the best evidence for this is that literally when rates got to six and a quarter, guess what new listings data did? It started to go negative. That was not the case during the housing bubble years, right? Because the seller back then was not a home buyer. That seller was technically going to be homeless. He was either going to rent something or go live with a family member because he cannot acquire, he or she cannot acquire another home. Here, a new seller's, I, I don't want to buy another house at 7% rates. I don't know. So new listings data is negative year to date, right? Because the homeowner was legit, right? Homeowners, a majority of people are homeowners. So that's that's the difference, right? And that's why you don't see the inventory skyrocket like we did during the housing bubble boom and burst. And that's why um, you also are not going to see a housing crash, right? Part of, inherent in a housing bubble is like there's got to be some, it's got to pop and there's got to be this crash. But why would there be a crash? People don't have to sell their homes. Now, if we get so many jobs lost, if we have a, a huge, you know, huge, something happens and so many people lose their jobs, but Sarah, I have a model for like wh- how many homeowners could possibly lose their job and what kind of recession that I keep very close to my chest. And I cannot wait to see the recession people just go off on 10, 15, 20% unemployment. I've got this whole thing ready for the recession. And I just, just, just want to emphasize the highest percentage of unemployed people tend to be high school dropouts. They tend to be service sector workers because we're a service sector economy. So that comes into the renter financial profile. We do not, nor should we ever, right, have any kind of circumstance where we're going to get 15 to 20% unemployment rates for those that actually have higher paying jobs. The whole forbearance crash broves um, thing that I created in September was to show this, right, to show that the people who are talking about this do not have the training, right, because they're putting renter financial profiles into homeowners. You know the unemployment rate for college-educated Americans today, Sarah Wheeler? I do not. Tell me. It is 2%. Wow. Do you know what that means? That means you are savagely unhealthy in the labor market for college-educated people, right? Because when you start to get below 3%, it's not because you have a booming. You just don't have enough labor, right? Um, So context is key. Uh, When the next recession happens, the Fed is going to do it right. They should limit the damage to a degree. Uh, there's no real, or, I mean, the over leveraged system was in like crypto, right? And look, crypto had its big collapse. Everything's working. Hello, everything <laughs> is working. We've had a crypto Lehman moment. And look, 
The world is here. Why? Because the velocity of that is just not that big in the economy. And this is a talking point we've had for many years. Crypto just does not have that kind of velocity in the economy. So when the job loss recession happens, it'll be like traditional recessions. But, you know, it, it's it, we're not going to get what we saw during the housing bubble years because people forget this still today. I, I always show this chart. People were filing for foreclosures before, like four years before the recession happened. 2005, 6, 7, and 8, and then late 2008, job loss recession. We were seeing credit being stressed out, you know, all the way up to then. Here, it's it's the late cycle lending, right? Late cycle lending is people that buy a home late in a cycle with a very low down payment. If they lose their job, they don't have selling equity. That is a foreclosure risk. That goes back to traditional, boring housing credit channel work because it is boring. Oh, my God, it's so boring. It really is. So, but it's it can't be a sexy story unless we go housing bubble, FOMO market, crash, crash, burn, boom, do, do, do. 1.22 million inventory. Why won't people sell their house to be homeless? You don't want to be, listen, you do not want to be the guy telling your wife and kids, we have to sell our house to be homeless. Why, dad? Why are you so soft? I watch too many YouTubes and these people scare me out. Dad, you're just soft. Get out of here. Go. So let's talk about crypto for a moment, right? And we have seen this spectacular uh, crash. And and I don't say that in like, you know, I, I wasn't, you know, I don't have a dog in that fight, but, you know, I'm not happy to to any ever see people, especially a lot of people who were maybe very um, naive about the way all that worked. Like, I, I hate to see people lose their money on something like that. But let, let's talk about crypto a little bit, because I know you were never a huge crypto fan, but you know, there's still people who are like, listen, this is still the future just in a, in a reimagined way. I'm a king dollar. I am a king dollar for life guy. And when Tom Brady put those laser eyes on, by, by the way, Tom Brady was an FTX uh, uh, investor, had a relationship there. I literally retweeted him two seconds later, did my little laser eyes and said, USD, king dollar. And what happened from that time? Everyone go back, look at the dollar charts. Literally from Tom Brady's tweet, the dollar made a huge rally after that. And we are sitting here with FTX bankrupt and everyone else going bankrupt. I, I don't know if we, I, I don't know if you remember this talk we had a while ago. Um, the guy Sam, the, the guy who ran the FTX. Do you know right. Sam do you know what, what my, SBF. my my view of him was? Because I, I don't follow crypto much or anything. So I just thought that guy's a con artist because of the way he looks. An axe. You know, you can't judge people. I, I'm, 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 I'm going to give you the reason why, though, Sarah Wheeler. I'm going to give you the reason why. That was done on purpose. See, a lot of crypto people, they have a lot of money. They have a Lamborghinis or whatever. People that have a lot of money. He specifically designed his look to make himself look harmless. And so did the girl that worked with him as well. She looked like a Harry Potter person, you know. So that to me, is a clever way to, hey, I'm a harmless guy. I'm a vegan. I'm a, you know, that like raised the red flag. I was like, he's he's playing people. Because when you look at him, you think of, you know, if you see a guy with a Lamborghini, with gold chains, with, you know, whatever, you know, these Instagram people with all these, you know, you think, oh God, he's a, he's a swindler. Look at, look at that money and all that stuff. But this guy went with the normal shirt, socks, shorts, 
And I was just thinking, hmm, it's just that that's he's playing people because because you see him, you go, how the guy's harmless. Look at him. You know, it looks like a 20 year old, 20 year old college bum that hasn't left his dorm room to go to class, you know. So that's why I was like a little bit leery up here. I, I, I didn't know any 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 of the things or or I, I don't even spend any kind of time with crypto or anything just because the velocity of it actually that's been my talking point for many years the velocity of crypto in the economy just isn't that big right so it doesn't really matter if people have that kind of money or lose that kind of money that's that's set for a smaller segment of the economy so it's not like tied to consumer balance sheets right so but that that guy always kind of robbed me i was just looking i was going hey man that he's playing people what, what really gets me about crypto is that the people that I know who did it maybe are younger, less experienced, didn't know a lot about it. And it was like, I think the promise of crypto is like, you don't have to come from money. You can, you know, make money quick. You can put a little bit in. This is a way to game the system. You know, this is a way for people who maybe um, didn't grow up with that kind of, uh, you know, family money. They can they can kind of even the playing field, and I hate it that those are the people. It was that a got financial swindled. asset, an investmental asset. You know, um, you can make money. It, it, I mean, here's here's another way to look at it. This is the irony of crypto. Crypto was basically running with the stock market, right? When the Nasdaq. So when the Fed was raising rates, it's it's funny for me to see that the crypto people are talking about the Fed's raising rates. Too much. They're, they're, they, they have to cut rates. In a sense, they were designed to go against the Federal Reserve, right? It was designed to go against inflation. It's just every cycle you have something that's over leveraged, right? The reason I didn't put crypto into the category of the fourth recession red flag is because the velocity of it just isn't that big to the general economy. So here we have a collapse right, of, of the whole system, in a sense, and it's just people losing money that were in it, right? And again, a lot of these people have had a lot of money, whatever, most likely they've stored them in other places. Um, so it's just not going to be as big as, let's say, durable goods spending takes off and it creates this kind of inflation because we as a consumer were buying too many goods and the uh, supply levels were too low and the distribution of that supply, those Shanghai to LA freight costs were so much. So it's just not not that not that important to me, nor have I spent too much time on it. But I'm just my observation from that guy was just the way he looked, right? Was just kind of to me, I'm a I'm a listen, look at me. I'm harmless. I believe really in me. It worked. It worked in Congress. Look in Congress, they're like, you know, hey, he's, he's you know, I'm gonna give all my money to philanthropy and savings and <laughs> I mean, it's just yeah. some, sometimes the devil does not need to look like Lucifer in the show, right? Sometimes the devil might look like an angel. It, interesting. Okay, so this is the second one in a week where you brought out, or was it last week where you're like, Sarah Wheeler having a dance with the devil? So, you know, I, I'm seeing a little bit of a theme here, Logan. I've always said, I dance with the devil's bride all the time, and she whispers crazy things, man, <laughs> and... uh uh, economic cycles, you always have to look at where was most of the money made. And we had that in crypto. I mean, crypto had a unbelievable run. But again, whether crypto goes back up to 30,000 or 5,000, to me, it's just not that relevant in the US. Not, not a lot. Here, here, here's when, when I spoke at a conference, this is actually what I said. 
the utilization rate of cryptocurrency isn't high enough to change the ballgame, right? Or if, if it became something more commonly used, right, then that's a different story. It just isn't. So that's why we don't see the similar impacts like the housing crash. That was consumer leverage debt. That's a real family that foreclosed, you know, and that family is now basically off the grid until they have to reheal themselves. Crypto is this like, like 4,000 people owned most of the crypto in the world. So it's just in a, in a six, seven billion population risk is that. I do think you see that too in the news about um, the the knock-on effects after, you know, who was already invested in FTX and what they're, you know, it's, it's just a very... Uh, Insular little world. Well, we'll keep an eye on that and see what Listen, the next every every cycle, is. Sarah. Every cycle, there's going to be something else. This is just the way we are. We humans. It's like home sellers. I always tell people, home sellers were greedy. They're like, oh, we're going to bid up our house and we're going to take contingencies off. And this is why I think why I agreed with the Federal Reserve why they why rates had to go up because home prices were escalating out of control. That's a material damaging effect, right? Because we need people to buy homes. We need younger people to buy homes, to have kids, household formation, all that stuff. And that's more of a, uh, of a detrimental effect than, than crypto in the sense. Logan, thanks as always for giving us your insight, especially on uh, Jobs Friday. We appreciate you and we'll talk to you again soon. How have the 2022 housing market forecast changed? Or how is the industry navigating the shift to a purchase-driven market? HousingWire's premium content program, HW+, answers questions like these and offers a variety of member-exclusive benefits that are tailored to what you need to stay competitive and agile in today's fast-paced market. Go to housingwire.com forward slash membership to join today. With your HW Plus membership, you get access to longer form digital content, the Housing Wire magazine, member exclusive rates to in-person events like Housing Wire Annual, and more. Thanks for listening to Housing Wire Daily. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to take a minute to rate the show and leave a comment. And make sure to tune in tomorrow for more news and insight.